0: This is a podcast series on dysfunctional families Med Hall in Christ. Today's guest is my friend and mentor, Chad Wilt. I've had the privilege of working with Chad for a few years now as a father in the faith, elder brother, and a good friend to me. Chad is not new here. He was our guest at the beginning of the year where he talked on Isaiah 6. And today feels like a continuation of that message because... He starts with the same passage. Being a loving husband to Tehillah, father to his four children, and a pastor, I couldn't think of anyone better to speak on this topic. Chad has cancelled many marriages over his time in ministry, and today he brings a unique perspective on marriage and life revolving around the marriage supper in the second coming of Jesus our King.
1: At times, I feel like I'm standing between um, it's life and death. I don't, I don't think we really know what church is supposed to go like, because I don't think we've ever truly tapped into what it's supposed to be. And I do know one thing, that men and women of God who are in positions of leadership feel as if they're literally standing between the living and the dead. And there are certain things that are so cataclysmic and so important that we completely don't realize. And they are the essence to all things of God. So I wanted to sing that song because um, the opening line there, that's Isaiah six, and the opening line says that, I see the Lord, Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, was taken to heaven, he saw the Lord And it's an amazing story. You guys have heard me talk about it to some degree. But the thing is, is that this is a seasoned prophet. He's not a heathen, he's a man of God. He's an accurate, seasoned prophet. He's in a different element than he's ever been in before. And he's never seen God like this before in his life. And a seasoned, accurate prophet felt the need to ask God to cleanse his mouth. What was he speaking before, trash and garbage? No, he was speaking the word of the Lord. And he felt the need to ask God to cleanse his lips because there's something so holy about the word. He realized he had been taking it and speaking it lightly. Have you been there? you've made light of the things of God because of your traditions. you caught in format until that format gnaws your heart out of your soul and you look up one day and realize you don't love Jesus near as much as you used to. And that you're passionate about other things way more vehemently than you are about Him. And you dread the time to go pray because it's duty. So in Isaiah six, the opening line says, I see the Lord and his train filled the temple. What is a train, ladies? His train, what's a a train? You wear it when you're gonna get married. His train filled what? Who's the temple? What that say? That God's showing up to, to what? To be married. There's one thing that we're all heading towards, like it or not. Theologically, you can disagree with me all day long. I could probably prove you wrong. That's beside the point. You're heading toward one moment. Whether you make it or not depends on your love for the Lord here. You're heading to one moment, that's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Problem is, is that your life isn't lived in context to that moment. Jesus simply wants to be married. He wants a bride. he can't marry somebody who doesn't look like him. He simply cannot and will not. Just because you're you and your preference to yourself is higher than anything else in your life doesn't mean that God feels the same way. God feels one way about one being in life, and that's Jesus. Every other being is deserving of death. There's one thing about the modern message of grace and sonship and acceptance that's going around right now. It's all true only if you and the old man are not present in that scenario. If you're present in that scenario, then all this grace and sonship and idea doesn't work because you have to live in the nature that God is coming to marry, not the other one. And if the other nature is more important to you than the one he's coming for, then you have elevated something over his nature, which means he doesn't know who you are. You are commanded to live in the new man. It's not an option. In the new man, there's no room for your tradition. There's no room for your culture. This is why there's no Jew or Greek, male or female, bond or free in Christ. There's no room for your opinions. There's room for the word of God. And Isaiah said, you need to cleanse my mouth because I realize I've been speaking it in a way that has not been utterly defining it. It's possible to speak and preach in a way that does not utterly define Jesus. It may utterly define your theology, and you may be charismatic in your presentation, and you may be theologically correct according to your standards of training, regurgitating what another man told you. That's all that a theological degree is, is regurgitation. Say yes at the right points. Here's a paper and I'm go preach the gospel. The Problem is, is the gospel revolves around the word of God. The word of God is Jesus. That's a nature, it's not an idea. Turn to Matthew 22, there's something we're heading towards here. Anybody ever been married? happened two weeks before you were married? You were thinking about the Super Bowl, right? What were you thinking about? Two weeks before you got married, what were you thinking about? Were you obsessed with buying a house? Were you obsessed with your job? Are you obsessed with buying a new car? What were you obsessed with two weeks before you were about to be married? Being married. That's all you thought about. Everything revolved around it, didn't it? All your plans, all your time, all your energy, all your emotion, all your preparation, your job, the money you were making, went all to that marriage was gonna go all that honeymoon, everything was about that moment. What happened? Where are you headed? You're headed to a wedding. That's what eternity is gonna be. So what are you thinking about? What are you obsessed with? I drove to Fayetteville to buy shoes twice (laughs) and then we didn't even wear them. Everything was about the wedding. My life revolved around it. Her life revolved around it. Why doesn't yours revolve around it? Because you have plans, you have earthly issues, you've forgotten who you love and why you're here. You've got businesses to run, money to make, people to save, jokes to make. Jesus answered and spoke to them by parables and said, This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a king. You guys understand king? It's not president. It's not republic or democracy. King is dictatorship. You understand king? You guys, you ladies know. You were excited, weren't you? You anticipated it. You waited, you couldn't even sleep at night. The night before you were all, ah. everything was about the wedding. What happened? This placed you here and what he is thinking about and his end goal for your life, you're gonna end up in the wrong part of this story but they made light of it. That means to be careless, to be negligent, or to disregard it. Have you been careless, negligent, or disregarded where you're actually headed? That God's goal, Abba's goal, is to prepare you as a bride to marry his son. Has it obsessed you? Do you live your whole life anticipating that moment? I get to marry a king. I better be ready. This isn't just a pauper. This isn't a businessman. This isn't a president. I get to marry God's own son. of my business another to his merchandise I got a business to run I've got money to make for my family because after all the Bible says if you don't provide for your own house you're worse than an infidel so many men use that to, to completely get lost in work one little scripture they use to justify being a workaholic and so they took the servants and they treated them spitefully and slew them. What does that mean? Is that when somebody comes and tells you, says, "Hey, you, you got something bigger in your life to go for, other than what you're doing." And somebody comes and says to that person, "Well, who do you think you are? I don't even like you." Like, I don't like your preaching. I don't like the way you're, you're talking to me. I don't, I don't like, me. God wants me to be happy. He wants me to have all the stuff in life that I'm supposed to have. He wants to bless me. He wants all these things. And I don't know who you, you're you're so judgmental. And all this person's trying to do is saying, you're about to be married and you're screwing around with stuff that's down here that's gonna burn. You're a bride who's not in love with her husband. Go read the Old Testament. How many times did God say that Israel was a whore? He used the word. She's a whore. And Jeremiah, she's left me. She doesn't care about me. She doesn't care about the marriage. She doesn't care about the covenant. She's out there whoring around with other nations and other gods and other things. She cares more about this life than she does to me.
0: They made light of it.
1: And they took the servants who were trying to invite them to the wedding and they treated them wrongfully. But when the king heard this, he was angry. And he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their cities. The entire group of people who were invited Went to hell. I'm sure they were good people. And then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were bidden were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, find as many as you can, and get them to come. So they rose up and they went to the highways. They gathered all as many as they could, both good and bad, and the wedding was furnished with guests. That first he used to really bother my religious demon. Good and bad. Bad people. How can bad people get invited to the wedding? I thought that that we were better than all those other people and then because we're better than all them, they're not going to be able to make it. I'll explain that here. So they went out and they gathered as many as they found, furnished with guests. And the king came into the sea of the guests and there he saw a man who didn't have a wedding garment on. And he said, how did you get in here not having a wedding garment? And the guy was speechless. And he said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him out into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called to the marriage, but few are chosen. Many are good. Many, it even says this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Some of them actually end up there and then they get, God's like, what are you doing here? You never cared about this. This isn't what you wanted. This isn't what you lived for. Why are you here? We have to understand there's a couple points to this. One, there's a marriage. Undeniable. It's going to happen. Two, people were not interested. And three, all creation is moving towards this one event. All creation is moving towards this one event. You can call your life whatever you want. When you die, you're either gonna be part of that marriage or you're not. I don't care where you're at theologically. You're going to be a part of that or you're not. Two options. people who were distracted were concerned with things of earth. They were concerned with things of the affairs of this life. That's what's dominated their mind, their heart, everything went with them, all the problems, the troubles, the trials, the stresses, the things they had to take care of. Why would you have to go back and take care of your farm? Why would you have to go back and take care of your business? Because things are going wrong there. It needs your attention. It needs your input. It needs your direction. It needs your, you know, manipulation to make it work. These plans of these people were more important than things of of their own eternity. It says that there was a marriage made for his son. Let me pose to you this question. What if the people who were invited weren't just guests, but they were also the bride? See, theologically, you're gonna have to make a choice. God either marries just a few of you, and you gotta figure out how to get in that category, or you're all part of the body of Christ. Which one is it? Either one, either way, my sermon holds. Some people think, oh, not everybody's gonna get to be married to Jesus. There's room for scripture in that. But I want to propose to you the fact that the Last Supper was his proposal. In fact, the whole terminology of it, everything he did, the breaking of the bread, the giving of the cup, Eastern understanding, thought processes, knew that that was a marriage proposal. That's what you did when you proposed to a woman. We are the guests, but we're also the bride. These people were late to their own wedding. Were any of y'all late late to your own wedding? Nobody? Why? Maybe because it was important? Maybe because it's all that you had on your agenda and you made everything else revolve around that? Did you hear what I just said? You made everything on your agenda and your schedule, including your jobs, your farms, and everything, you made it revolve around the wedding. Is that how you're living? Is that how you're thinking? That everything in your life revolves around that, not the other way around. Not that life and the wedding revolves around your life. Some showed up in their own garments. Some didn't show up at all. Some showed up dressed properly. Which one do you wanna be? You choose. Everybody wants to hear, well done and good and faithful servant, but very few people are faithful. Very few people have ever stuck with anything more than a few months or years. You've gotta be faithful to hear, well done. Just let you know that. Just throw it out there as a freebie. You guys ever heard about pure and spotless bride? You know where spots come from? Where spots in your gown, your wedding dress come from? come from you trying to improve upon what Christ has already done with your religion, your opinions, your theology, your traditions, your focus. Every time you walk in unbelief, you're putting a spot in your own gown because Jesus either made you white or he didn't. And unbelief makes you think you still have to do something more to earn entrance into the marriage, which is why bad people were able to come too, because once he robed them, they were worthy. They didn't have history and tradition to go by, did they? These bad people gathered up by the servants of God. They didn't have a bunch of religion to teach them and train them and to realize how bad they were and good they were and theologically be accurate and all this stuff that their parents taught them and their parents taught them and it got passed down from generation to generation to generation. They didn't have time. When they got robed, they were worthy of the marriage. And these bad people were instantly made worthy. Because God wants, at any expense, to have a bride and guests at his wedding. Does it make sense to you? To have spots is to not be fully found in righteousness, his righteousness. Jesus is the only one that's spotless. He's the spotless, what? Lamb, he's the spotless lamb. The only way you can have no spots In your attire is if you're dressed in him. Dressed in him, look like him, act like him. And father says, I know that one. He looks like my son, therefore he's worthy. She's worthy of the marriage. You think Jesus had side issues? You tell me as a Christian, how many side issues you're allowed and still be able be radically in love with him. How many side issues would you allow in your marriage? How many side issues would you allow your husband to have to steal your love away from you? How many would you allow? How many think God's going to allow? How many are you allowing? This is heavy, I know, but it's where you're going. You're heading toward a marriage. Unbelief postures us in the position of disunity with God. It puts spots in our robes. It stains us because he's the only one worthy. You cannot improve upon the righteousness of Jesus. You can only accept it, walk in it, and mature in it. You can't make yourself more holy. You know, I, I see all these people online. I chuckle and I just read threads and comments, theological arguments, dispositions, ideas, this and that. So much hate, so much criticism, so much stuff on theological issues on the internet. And I, and, I, and I look at these people's lives and I'll just, sometimes I'll go and click on their profile to think, who is this person? Like I really wanna know where they're coming from. It's, I'm not afraid of judgment, it's just, you're so feminine and theologically bound with a religious demon, I wanna know who you are. And then, you know, in their life and their likes and this and that, they got Harry Potter and all these other things, they read this, they read that. And I'm thinking, how are you able to theologically argue all these things that you think are so important yet willingly involve yourself in witchcraft? And you're so smart, you got it all figured out. And you're headed toward a wedding and I promise you Jesus wouldn't touch that stuff with a 10-foot pole. Well, you're just being critical. Maybe I care about who Jesus actually marries because Paul said, I long to present you as a pure virgin unto Christ. Maybe I actually care about where you're going. Maybe I actually care about the things that you're involving in your life and your kids' lives are actually talking yourself into something that's gonna cause you to be pulled away from the marriage you're called to. Maybe I really want Jesus to have a good-looking woman. can't patchwork righteousness. The old man cannot take the new man's skin. What happened when we were born in Genesis? What happened? God clothed us with his own skin. True or not? God made us in his image, right? We didn't understand it was nakedness. God clothed us in his own skin. He robed us in his own attire. And when we disobeyed, sin caused us, listen to this, to think. Listen to me. Sin caused us to think that what God robed us with wasn't good enough. And so he made skins, covered us, and we were never meant to wear the skin of animals. We were meant to wear the skin of God. Hmm? So he sends his son, Jesus comes and he says, what in Revelation, I'll give you this robe. I'll clothe you with my glory. He prays it for John 17. Let them know the glory that you and I know. Let them see it. Let them be covered by it. And what he's doing is, is he's saying, I want this glory to be your new skin. But he's also afraid of touching the glory of God. You're a true son. You won't touch it, but you'll wear it. You won't touch it, but you will wear it because it's the skin of God. Go read John 17 if you don't think that we're supposed to be involved with his glory. I don't care what you read when Uzzah touched the ark, that dude wasn't saved. I am. I'm not gonna claim glory for anything that's God, but I want to be clothed with his glory. What does he say in Revelation? Buy of me these things, so the shame of your what won't appear? Revelation 3, so the shame of your nakedness will not appear so that you have a wedding garment on and you're able to be married to me. This is what I want for you. Buy this for me. The attire of the bride of Jesus is the glory of God. She's clothed in glory and splendor. Go read when he says, look, the bride of Christ, he sees this big city coming out of heaven clothed in glory. John's Blown away when he says, behold the bride. Wow. Oh goodness. Luke 12, 40. I'm gonna skip some things here. I wish I could move on here quicker, but it says, be ready. Because Jesus is coming whenever you don't think he is. And then Peter said to him, are you talking to us or are you talking to everybody? And he said, who is the faithful and wise steward? The Lord will make him ruler over his whole house and give them the portion and meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom the Lord, when he comes, find doing of a truth. I'll tell you, he will make him ruler over everything he has. But if that servant says in the heart, my God is delaying coming, and he begins to, to beat manservants and maidservants, to eat and drink, to be drunk, and the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he doesn't look for him. In an hour where he's not aware, cut him asunder and appoint him with a portion of unbelievers. That servant which knew, listen to this, his Lord's will and did not prepare himself, neither did according to his plans, shall be beaten with many stripes. And he that didn't know and committed things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes for unto whoever much is given, much is required, and to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. God is very serious about what he gives us. And he's expecting us in multiple places in parables, Jesus says that he comes like a thief in the night. The parable of the five foolish virgins is waiting for the bridegroom to come, and these women are not ready. They're virgins, they're pure, they're holy, they have light. They have experience, they have a degree of salvation. They had the oil of God, which only represents the Holy Spirit. There's a place in their life where they had some sort of experience with Jesus. And he says, I don't know who you are. To be called to the marriage and to be proposed to and not show up is to be in love with another. I really want you to understand that your life as a Christian is not about just being a good construction worker our good mother, that's part of it. But there's an obsession that has to come with knowing I must prepare myself because I'm about to marry a king. I must prepare myself and I must lay aside every weight that besets me because if I don't, I'm not gonna be ready to marry that man. And he will only marry those that look like himself. Let me ask you a question. Those people in the highways and the byways that were bad, did they have time to improve upon the righteousness that they had? He added it to them. Listen to me. The new man is naturally dressed for the king. The old man is not. And the more you identify with your old man, your old thoughts, your own mindset, your old problems, your old issues, your old sins, your old ideas, your old opinions, your old theologies, your old religions, the more you identify with that, the less you're gonna identify with what Jesus is coming to marry. Because he's not coming to marry your old man. He's not coming to marry your old nature. And if you're living in it and love it and process it and take care of it and nurture it, you will not be accepted. I don't care what experience you have with the Lord, you will not be accepted. He died, do you understand that? That, let me say that again. He died to set you free from that old man. If you choose to live in him, you are in open and active rebellion against the cross of Jesus Christ. He is our image. When God looks at us, he sees who? If we're living in the new man and the new nature and the new life, God looks at us, he sees Jesus. We are the image of God in this earth. It's the most attractive thing to Jesus and the Holy Spirit is the image of Jesus. It's the most attractive thing to God. When the Spirit and the bride say come, the bride is dressed like Jesus himself. Are you with me? We are not called to wear that which is lesser than what the King wears himself. You are to be clothed with no less than what God clothes himself with. Light, glory, life, righteousness, peace. We have to grow up. No man wants to marry a pimple-faced teenager. He wants a mature woman. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus wants a mature woman, not someone who is frolicking in the kiddie pool of grace. Do we need grace? Absolutely. How many of us use it as an excuse to stay exactly where we are? This is making sense to you? The beauty and mesmerizing countenance of Jesus is our image as well, if we walk in Him. If we walk in Him. If we see Him as more beautiful than we see ourselves, then we're not seeing clearly. See, that's blasphemy. I didn't make me in the image of God, He did. Talk to Him about it. Do you understand that? You were made in the image of God. Do you think that the part that he made you in the image his image was his ugly side? I don't believe that. This body is not who you are. Your spirit is a beautiful being. Your spirit is a beautiful being. But some of our spirits in this room are immature little babies, not ready for marriage because we're too concerned about who's right and wrong. Too concerned about our theology. We're not ready for a marriage. I don't care what your theology is. You know what my job is? I gotta get ready because I'm gonna be married. I don't have time to argue with all your little semantics that you're telling me why healing isn't for today. (sighs) Never mind the fact that I've literally seen it. You're not gonna change my mind. (laughs) Show me all you want in world. I have watched it happen. I gotta get married. You keep believing the way you're believing, I'm gonna get married. Being perfect is not being without spot. Perfection does not remove the stain. You're not gonna get yourself to a point of working in salvation to get yourself pure enough for him. What removes stains? Religion, obedience, works. What it removes? It's the blood. You can't make yourself ready enough. The only thing you can do is accept and follow and obey what he's asking you to do. And you focus on the why you're made. Hmm, Let's see. You guys remember the woman with the issue of blood? impure, unclean, what's she do? She reaches out and touches what? And instantly she's clean and healed. What are you reaching for? You want your spirit, man? without spot, without wrinkle. Just reach up and grab the train of his robe. Mm. And everything inside of you will go, I'm ready. I want to be married. I want to marry that. I want to marry you. I've never seen love like that before. Is is this helping you? What makes the difference between the chosen and the called? I'm gonna close with this here. It says many are, many are called, few are chosen. When I was young trying to serve the Lord, that wouldn't really get me. Cause I'm like, man, I, I, like, I wanna be the chosen, but I know I'm called, but everybody else was called too. Right? Like, I mean, I mean, it's, it's great, it's your call, but I don't care about that. I don't wanna be called, I wanna be chosen. Right? You ever felt like that before, where you're "God, I want to be the chosen." Of course, you know there's a heavy responsibility with that, because Jesus said, "You know, if too much is given, much is required." If you're going to marry a king, you better look like a king's bride. I want to be chosen. What's, what makes the difference? Let me ask you this: Who was the chosen one? Many are called. To look like him but few look like him did you understand that when you're called few are chosen who does god choose only one person god chooses it's not you it's jesus many are called to look like him many are called come into that. Many are called, come to the wedding. Come, come, but not many look like him. You want to be chosen? You must look like him. How do you look like him? You live like him. You act like him. You pray like him. You talk like him. You put to death the old man. You obey him. Jesus said, if you love me, you do what I ask you to do amazing to me as a pastor, and I've been doing this for me a long time, and I know so many Christians who do not even read their Bible. I know so many ministers that only read the Word of God when they have to prepare for a sermon. What makes the difference between the chosen and the called? We do. Him. Everyone has the potential to be chosen. Who makes the distinction? You do. Those who are not chosen chose to not be, they simply were involved in other things that were way more important to them. I don't care how much you clean up this outer man, he's still gonna die. Thank God you're free from addiction. Thank God you're free from what you used to be. I thank God. But that is not your goal. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you could get free in your mortal body from drugs. That's a byproduct. That's not the goal. And so many ministries make that the goal. Okay, so I applaud you. You're now acceptable to society, but you're not acceptable to the kingdom of God because you don't look like Jesus. I'm happy you're an acceptable citizen. You're a good, upstanding citizen. Now, you should be. But now it's time to become a good citizen of a different kingdom. Now it's time to be from another realm. Now it's time to learn how to live in a man that you have been oppressing your entire life called your new man. Now it's time to learn how to be a bride. the yes of the bride that makes the chosen tangible, practical, real. Does this make sense? You don't have to be good enough to be chosen because he's good enough. That's why you end up being chosen because you're transferring why you're not good enough for the one who is, which makes you chosen. You're on your face saying, God, Oh, every time I say that, I just get this little hot inside. Because that's where, that's what's everything, It's what's coming towards. I want to know you and I want to be done with you. I want to look like you, act like you, talk like you, live like you, breathe like you, like you, eat like you, sleep like you, pray like you. I want everything in my life to be consumed with you. you. If at any point I believe it's possible to get to such a place in the Lord that at any point somebody could push pause on your life, walk into it and now analyze everything going on and say, it's just like Jesus. Why is it not? Because we're concerned about something other than our wedding. You get up every day of your life and you live concerned for your wedding. Everything else falls into place. You revolve your life around your wedding, you revolve your music around your wedding, you revolve this around your wedding, that around your wedding, you revolve your marriage around your wedding, you revolve your money around your wedding, everything begins to be about your wedding. Yes, that's my cue. Can I stand up. I really want you to understand, it is not my goal tonight to beat you up. I really feel very strongly that the Lord wants this message preached because I think He wants our focus back on what's important. And He cares that you're at that table. But if He doesn't address the things of which we're distracted by, We're never gonna have the ability to look up from those things and see something else. It should break your heart in a good way that Jesus wants to marry you. (laughs) When you marry somebody, it's because you choose them. He chose you now. You have to be willing to choose him, not just salvation. You're like, oh, I got saved. That's not what I'm talking about. Being saved just gives you the ability to be in the in the game. <laughs> it just makes you eligible for marriage. King chose me. He chose you now. He's waiting. Will you choose him? Will you choose your business or your houses or your lands? Of course you have to do all those things, but you'll revolve those things around your marriage. Father, thank you. If this is in your heart, just lift your hand. I ask you to forgive me for being sidetracked for not looking to the, to the marriage, to your happiness, to you coming back for a bride. Give me the mind of Christ, which is about the kingdom of God. Forgive me for my harlotry, and I ask you wash me and help me not to try to improve upon your righteousness but help me to grow in your righteousness and to wear your apparel. I thank you. I love you. I choose you. And I want to be like you. And I want to be known of you. In Jesus' name.